Amen. Let me just remind you, if you're, if you're not getting the emails from the church, um, then see Kristen. Get on that list. Uh, when we have needs that come up, we're sending them out that way. There's also a spot on the website where you can go if you have a need. You can go right there to the website and click on that and, and fill that out, send that in. Or if you're able to help with something, you know, I, I, I guess it's a good problem to have. We've got a whole lot more people willing to help right now than we have people that need help. And Again, it's just such a different event. We didn't, it wasn't a major wind event for us. The flooding, you take the, the rain and the flooding out, and it's a non-event for us. But it's not a non-event. We've got a lot of things going on. But, folks, you know, if, 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 here's what I know. You, you think about areas that, that are impacted, and, you know, it's always like right now we're here in Geneva Strong. And we are. And, and, and there's a unique set group of people that are out here in Geneva. There's a reason you live in Geneva, right? You're, you're a unique kind of person. But in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, we're, we're, we're to help each other, be a part of this, okay? So if there's something you can use some help with, um, whether, whatever it may be, if it's, if it's pride, put, put, put aside the pride, okay? Because this is family. And, and let us know that if there's something that, that you need help with. Let us know because we really, really, really do want to be a blessing. Because there's so many people who are going, man, I feel guilty about because I just, I don't have any problems. I don't have, there's no, and they want to they help. So appease our conscience, okay? Appease our conscience. Uh, help us as, in, as, as weaker brothers and sisters. Uh, help us feel better about things. Uh, let us be a help to you, okay? So if there's something we can do, if it's running to the grocery store, if you need to ride somewhere, whatever, let us know. Let us be a help, okay? Uh, so make sure you're getting that, that information. Um, I, wanna, I, just, I do want to mention this. I don't do this often. I don't do it always, and, and I don't, I don't want to be tied to doing it. But, but uh, this past week, we did have some special birthday. Like today, Michael Umensetter. Umensetter? Umen? Um and setter. Um, I should be able to remember that. Um, um and setter. Michael Um and setter. Uh, oh, Michael, you and I are the same age. You are now as old as me. You are now as old as me. You're a little younger. You'll always remember that. You're a little younger, about five months. So that'll tell you Michael is old if he's just four, five months younger than me. He's 54 now. Uh, Lindsay, L- Lindsay Knauer, you're so young. Her birthday's today as well. Is Lindsay here? She's here. She's so young. I feel real old now because she, she was born the year I graduated high school. So I'm not telling you what year that was. So uh, anyway, she's young. Uh, Bill Seltzer had a birthday this week. Mike Bowen had a birthday. And uh, Mr. Levi Duncan had a birthday this week. He turned one. Amen. And, uh, and then I have to tell you because he's special to me. Logan Knauer turned four uh, this week. And Logan... It's hard to believe he's four, isn't it? And I said, wow, too. Because Logan was the first baby born uh, with me as a pastor. He's the first one as a pastor. He was, so he's special to me. He's just special. He's just a great kid. And he's a ball of energy. So happy birthday to all those who had birthdays this week and those who have them today. Michael. So uh, Today's Jessica's birthday. All right. Well, I don't have you on the, I don't, we have to get you on the list, Jessica. So happy birthday, Jessica. I'm not going to ask your age. That's inappropriate. It's, you never ask a lady that. Uh, if it were Noah, we'd make fun of it. But, but it's you, so we're not going to say anything. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get started. Here, 
This week, I, I, we're, we're going to venture off. We're taking another exit off of our study through 1 Corinthians. And for the next two, maybe three weeks, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do a special little study within the study. And so what kind of stirred me on, spurred me on on this thought was I was at a meeting last week. Well, it was two, it would be two weeks ago, Tuesday. Several of us went to a meeting and, and it had to do with uh, really reclaiming America. And, and, and our responsibilities as Christians. And we got to hear a, a guy named David Barton. Many of you know him. He spoke for an hour without taking a breath. It was incredible. The guy is just a wealth of knowledge. And, uh, but anyway, as I came out of that and said, you know, there's some things I want to communicate that I, that I heard from that. And from that, I, really, I'm going to have two or three weeks of what I, what I want to share with you. But it begins with this, so in order to get there, i got to lay some foundation work, okay? So that's where we're going to start today. So I'm going to start with this. On November 8th, so November 8th, is a, y'all know what that day is, right? It's election day. And that's 30 days from today, 30 days from today. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you as your pastor, I want to encourage you to vote. I, I don't know, we don't do a survey here, I don't have any idea uh, what what it would be like in our church. I have a feeling our church represents well in the ballot box. I think you do, but if you don't, I want to encourage you to vote. If you do, uh, but you may be going, ah, it's going to be a landslide or this or whatever reason. I don't, don't assume anything. Vote, okay? I want to encourage you to vote. And as a Christian, I want to encourage you to vote your Christian values based on the truths that we live by found in God's Word. Amen? Amen. So voting is great. Voting to do your, your civil duty is great, but vote your godly, biblical, worldview principles, okay? Stand on that truth. Now, I want to say this as we begin. If you're not registered to vote, do not delay. I don't know if, if anyone here is not registered to vote, but if you're not, then don't delay because the, the, the uh, as, and I wish I'd have started this message a week ago, but the Lord put in a different message on my heart, but um. You, you've got two days to get registered. You got tomorrow. Well, today, I guess you could go online. You can go online and do that. You can do it today. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it Tuesday. But the deadline is Tuesday, October 11th, to vote in this, this election round, okay? So if you're not registered to vote, please, I'm begging you, get registered, okay? And you may say, well, I'll register, but I'm not going to vote because I don't, I don't vote. So I just don't get involved with it. I just don't think we should get involved, whatever. If, you've got, if you're saying that, then I'm pleading with you, Get registered to vote. Now, then, let's hear what I got to say over the next two or three weeks. And at the end of that, if you still feel like you should not be involved in this and you need to take your hands off of it and you don't want to vote, you don't have to go vote. But you can't go vote if you're not registered to vote. And you got to get registered to vote by Tuesday, okay? So I encourage you to do that Tuesday, October 11th. Interesting. So I had a, a note handed to me this morning. It goes right in line with what we're talking about. And it, and it has the date of deadline of October 11th. And if you want to get registered to vote, you go to VoteSeminole.org. You can register to vote there. There's a register to vote button that you push. So uh, VoteSeminole.org. VoteSeminole.org if you're not registered. And the statistics that, and I, I, I don't know, this was, this was given to me, but I think this is accurate. 50% of, of, of churches, people in churches, Catholics, Pres Protestant, all of them, 50% are not even registered to vote. So when you have a low voter turnout, that's based on the number of people who are registered to vote. 
So there's a lot of people that aren't even registered to vote. Okay, so um, if we're going to represent our worldview, our beliefs, if we're going to be represented in our representative government that we have here in America, then we need to vote. Right. Amen. Okay, so I'm encouraging you to do that. So I want to spend the next couple of weeks looking at why Christians uh, should engage in the election process here in America. And, and, and the question, in, you know, should we as Christians, uh, uh, as some suggest, stay out of politics or should we be active and involved in government? And that's what we're going to look at is that topic. But before we can get there, you know, we need to understand some things. I'm going to lay some, some foundational understanding for that for us. And, and we're going to begin today with this topic of God-ordained authority. All right, so we're going to lay the foundation this week, maybe the first part of the message next week, and then we can get into the deeper part of laying out why should we be involved and how should we be involved in these things if we should be involved, okay? So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'll bless in this time. Lord, you know what you've put on my heart. You know the preparation. You know that the, I've got a lot here, Lord, and, and I don't want to feed people this morning with a, uh, I don't want to try to give them water with a fire hose. So I want to be calm in my presentation, but Lord, I, I would love to get through as much of this as possible today so that we'll, we'll be further down the road next week. But Lord, I just pray that you'll guide my thought and my speech. And uh, Lord, already I know you've prepared our hearts. And, and right now, if there's a distraction, if there's something on our mind, on our heart, in our spirit that is a, a distraction from, from hearing your word and, uh, and receiving what you have for us today, Lord, I pray right now will be a time where we just uh, give that to you. We would... We would Turn off those distractions, Father. We would just focus our hearts and our minds on you right now to hear from your word. And God, I pray that you'll do what only you can do this morning through this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now in the Bible, God outlines authority structures that provide direction for the family, for the church, for the workplace, and for government. And by virtue of who he is as creator of all things, God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Amen. He has all power and all authority, and he entrusts roles of leadership to individuals in the family, in the church, in the workplace, and in government. And God has all authority and thus is the source of all authority. And so we've talked about this before with authority and the line of authority. You have intrinsic authority, which is it's God as authority because he is God and he has all authority. So that's intrinsic authority, and it's because of who he is. There's also direct authority where he can, and it's kind of what we'd call maybe derived authority. It's delegated authority in the sense, and I don't want to use that word yet, but it's, it's more derived, but it's direct. It's where the Lord says to do something, and because he has authority, when he says to do it, and he gives us a command, then we're to follow that, right? So that then gives us the authority in whatever that area would be. Go and make uh, disciples. When we're told to go and make disciples, we're, we're to go and to teach and to preach the, 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 the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a command. The great commandments given to us. The great commission is given to us. He's given us these things. He's told us these things, and we are then authorized. A lot of times we go, well, I don't know if I'm authorized to do that. Yes, we are authorized. In fact, we're not just authorized. We're commanded to go make disciples. So we are to, to preach and to teach other people. We're to share our faith with other people, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. Those things, we don't have to have someone give us authority to do that. It, we have that authority because God God's given it directly to us. But then there's delegated authority, and, and that, it, that, that obviously is authority that he delegates to others. And there are, there are authorities in our lives that God has designated that authority to. 
So the orderliness that we find in structures of God-ordained authority reflect the order of God's own nature. All right, so we're going to look at this first. If we're going to talk about authority and submission relationships, then, then it's interest, interesting that, that how God works and how God models this. Even this he models for us, okay? So God is a trinity, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Father sent the Son into the world as Savior and Redeemer. Amen? First John 4, 9. Uh, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that, he might live, that we might live through Him. 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son uh, as Savior of the world. So the Father is the authority. He told the Son, He commanded the Son, He sent the Son. Now Jesus was obedient to God the Father. John 5, 19, then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So after his death and resurrection, Jesus returned to heaven. He and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to comfort Jesus' disciples. It was one of the roles of the Holy Spirit to lead them in all truth, to remind them of the words of Jesus, and empower them to carry out Jesus' commission to spread the gospel. John 4, uh, 15, 26. But when the helper, the, the, that word there is parakletos, and it, it means comforter, helper, comforter. When, when the helper comes, when the comforter comes, whom I shall send, this is Jesus saying this, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So each member of the Trinity works within the structure of authority and fulfills their specific role, perfectly completing the others and demonstrating God's glory. So we see that within the Trinity. The Father sent the Son. The Son came and obediently He did exactly what the Father's wishes were. He went to the cross. He died for our sin. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended back to heaven. He told the disciples, I'm going to go back to the Father and then I'll send you the Comforter. And He goes back and He sends the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. From God, He and the Father, Jesus and the Father, sin, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is under authority, Jesus is under authority, and they recognize God as all authority. Amen? So we see this structure of authority even in the Godhead. Uh, the members are, are, are not independent of one another, but God the Father has recognized His authority. He directs and empowers the Son and Holy Spirit to carry out His will. So with that beginning, let's look at some other verses. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 says, Let a man so consider us as servants. Paul saying, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, the, word, the Greek word there that's translated steward is the word okonomia. okonomia. And it's, it's derived from two words, oikos, oikos, which means house, and nomos, which means manager. So it's house manager. And we, we get the idea there, the, histor the historical reference to that word is someone who manages the, the affairs of a household. I remember when we, were, when we were going through this, we came to this passage, 
I think I referenced Joseph. And when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, when he was a slave in the house, he, was, he, he, was, he had, had authority over everything within Joseph's household. He was the manager. He was the overseer. No one, no one there was over Joseph except for Potiphar himself. He goes into jail. It's the same thing. And then God miraculously brings Joseph out of there, and he ends up in the same type of position over the entire country of Egypt that the only person who was over Joseph was was Pharaoh. And so he is the manager. He is, he is entrusted with that. He is this house manager, this steward. He has the responsibility of stewarding, of managing that, that, that whatever that person owns. Okay. So this word is used in other passages to indicate how God manages his relationship to the world and in, at, at a given time. So in Ephesians 3, 2, here it's in the context in, of the institution of the church. And we notice what Paul says about himself. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation. Now it says dispensation in in my New King James. Yours may say stewardship. It's the same word there. Uh, It's the stewardship, the dispensation of the grace of God. So have you heard of the, the stewardship of the grace of God? The stewardship of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. That's what Paul says. So Paul viewed himself as a steward, an okonomia. He was to dispense, to steward, to manage God's grace, what we saw right there. And back in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he was to, to, to be a dispenser and steward and manager of the mysteries of God, which were given to him, listen, by God for us. Okay, this was this was wasn't Paul just said, I'm going to I'm going to take this on and do this, you know, just because I think it needs to be done. God called him and 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 equipped him in that way and put him in that position of authority. Amen. So now. um, So how then let's look at this. So how then does the sovereign, omnipotent God of the universe, as declared in and by the scriptures, how does he administrate? How does he manage and steward uh, and dispense his reign in a fallen world that has fallen in sin today in his physical absence? How does he do this? The answer is via his ordained institutions. God has put these God-ordained authority structures. He has established these, and it, and it is through this that he works through these, through his delegated authority. That's what we're going to look at. I know this is deep. All right, so I'm, tr- I'm going to try to g- help you understand this. Now, as we go deeper, it's, it, it's, it's important here uh, in, in getting this big concept. We're going to go a little deeper. So the Apostle Peter is instructing early Christians regarding the institution of the state, talking about government, okay? And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, I'll read those in a moment. And the context of the passage that follows, it pertains to believers having a good witness with the leaders of the state. That's the context of what he's saying. All right, you're to have a good relationship with the government that he has instituted. And so verse 13 through 15, therefore, submit yourselves, okay? Uh, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Okay. 
Is this contrary to God's will? No, this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now the main verb there or action of this God-given command is to submit, to subjugate. In, in the Greek, the, the Greek word there is uh, hupotasso. And it, and it means this, it means to place oneself under. So when we submit, it, 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 it's humility, right? It's, it's to be submitted. I was going to read this morning, and, and Brother Fred had that, that he wanted to read, but I was going to read in Philippians chapter 2. And we saw where the Lord, he made himself of no reputation. Philippians 2, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So when we start talking about these, these, these authority and submission structures, it's, it's, it's on us, folks. We got to check our pride. That's the first thing I want to say is we've got to make sure that we're doing what God says and the way God says it. And we have to sometimes we have to check our pride in this. Well, I ain't submitting to nobody. I'm not under anybody's authority. You know what that's called? Anybody know what that's called? That's called sin nature. I want to be my own boss in every situation. I'm going to be my own boss. But the scriptures make it very clear there's some times that we are to submit under some authority that God has ordained. Don't get mad at me yet. I've got a long way to go yet. You'll understand. Don't get mad yet. So, therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance. So it's to place yourself under. And in this case, uh, the, the reference is the institution of the state or government. Uh, but more broadly, if you'll notice in that verse, that Peter includes the word every. And, it, and what he's saying is meaning every, uh, including every other God-ordained institution. Or, that, that's the word the new, new, the new American Standard uses institution. The ESV uses institution. The New King James uses ordinance, as I just read that. Therefore, submit yourselves to every institution, every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And we're going to understand what those are. So what exactly is an institution in terms of the underlying Greek words translated into English here as institution? Now, let me start with this. Is there ever a time where we read something in our English Bible and it just doesn't really fully capture what the, lang- the original language had to say? Anybody, would you, Todd, you're a Bible translator. Is there, is there ever, is, can anybody give me one single example that comes at the top of your head I'd love for you to give me one example. I mean, I would just love for you to give me one example in Scripture that does not capture anybody, any word that we use. I'd love for you to... Love. Love. I tried. I tried to give you a big, big old fat hint there. Yeah, the word love. You know, when we... Because when we, we don't have the words in English to capture the different words in the Greek that convey love, Right? You have phileo, you have agape, you have eros. So we don't translate it with a specific word for each of that. We just put the word love in there. So when you're doing a study, you need to go back and look at what word is for love there. So there are times where maybe our English word doesn't quite fully capture the concept. So we're going to look at that when we're looking at this word here for institution. Now going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. And you can see there, I copied and pasted in there, uh, the, the, the word and then the Greek words. And I'm going to explain what they say here. So submit yourselves. 
That's that word hupotasso, and it's to submit yourself under, to put yourself, it's a, it's a humbling word. We're to submit ourselves under to every ordinance or institution. That's the word kathesis there of man, anthro, uh, anthropinos. You know what? Those, those are easy to say in your head, aren't they? I get up here and I start to say them out loud and they don't come out. Anybody, does that sound like any word you know? Anthropino, anthro, anthro, anthropinos. <laughs> You're right, but that, it does, but that's not the one. What, what, what? Anthropology, which is what? Study of man. That's exactly right. So that word there is man. So it says, submit yourselves to every ordinance, institution, catesis of man for the Lord's sake. Curios. All right. Now, the Greek word behind the English word institution are, are these words anthropinos and catesis. And the meaning in a literal sense is this. For mankind, what is created? That's the literal idea here, is this is God created it. For mankind, uh, what is created? Ketesis is the Greek noun for create, and it literally means, this, this, this verse here, what this is saying is, what has been created by God for mankind, okay? That's what, it, that's what he's saying here. So this is a classic example of, that, of the Greek language not, not having... The Greek language having a more exact meaning than the English derivative. We just think of institution. Well, I can think of a thousand things with institution, and it doesn't quite capture what we're trying to say. That's the word we put in there. But what, what God's saying here, what Peter was saying, is submit yourselves to what has been created by God for mankind. It's not just to submit to anything that's out there. And, and, and it's to submit to the God, what God has, what has been created by God for mankind. So, so we get a better idea then. So this verse tells us that submitting to every God-ordained particular authority, as this passage indicates, is in keeping with the will of God. You want to do the will of God? Then we are to, to submit to these God-ordained authorities that he has put into our lives. For mankind, what is created? It's not the idea that human, uh, human created the institution. Rather, a creation by God for mankind to mediate his reign in Christ's physical absence. So the implication and larger context of Peter's inspired instruction here is that believers submitting to every for man created by God institution per the whole of this passage is equated with submission to God himself. And you can read the scriptures that when we submit to those God-ordained institutions, we're submitting to the Lord. Who, and if we're not, we're not submitting to Him. Understand the hierarchy of this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're under that, right? But if God has ordained an institution there that we come under, if we come out from under God's ordained institution that He said, here's an authority submission relationship, and if we don't submit to that, how can we be under His authority if we're not under its authority? Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Okay, so you gotta you gotta get this part because we gotta understand there are these God ordained institutions. They're very clear in Scripture, and we're gonna get to that. We'll look at that what they are. We'll look at where God has where God set it up, and then we'll look at what their role is. What is the role that they're to do that we're to submit to? Okay, so an, an qualifying a qualification to submission. Uh, in this principle, we'll find that in Acts chapter four, uh, Acts four nineteen and five twenty nine. And I'm going to read those verses. All these, I think, all of these verses are referenced in your notes. So I put them all there because there's a ton of scriptures we're looking at today, and you can go back and study this out. A qualification then of submission. A qualification of submission. Look in in Acts four nineteen says, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Then in 529, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Right? Okay, so the the passage illustrates, uh, it's an illustration of someone in institutional authority demanding that one in submission to authority disobey a scriptural truth. So it's any one of these these God-ordained structures of authority then we're someone in authority in that way. When they're, when they're demanding of you to do something that disobeys the Scripture, there, there's, there's, a, there's a disqualifier here, okay? So whenever a decree by one in authority in any of the five institutions is unequivocally in contradiction to one's ability to obey God's Word, then God's Word must take precedent over the demands of the one in authority. Is that clear? Okay, so I have, I, we, we, do Bible, we do Bible club on Mondays. It's amazing. We talk about honoring your father and your mother and, and obeying them. And the kids, kids get it. The kids are sharp because they'll ask us, well, what, is, what, if, what if they ask us to do something that's wrong? Wow, why don't you ask me something hard? Okay, yeah, come up with something so simple. I'm like, those are difficult things, but we have the scriptures that help us to understand that. And so it, it, we work through that. We want our kids we want our kids to understand scriptural truths. What are we to obey? How do we honor mother, mother and father? Now, if, and if your mother and father ask you to go rob a bank, I, you, 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 you got the freedom to say, I ain't going to do that. Now, your mother and father may force you to do something. Okay, too many what ifs we can get into right there. But those are the kind of questions that arise from this that this will help us to understand. But the, 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 the qualifier comes in when it's in contradiction with clear Scripture. Amen? Amen. I mean, what was, what was Peter and them doing? They were, they were doing what they were called to do and told to do by God himself. Go preach the, preach the Word of God. So when they preached and man, the government says you need to stop that. And they said, uh, who should we listen to, you or, or God? Okay, then we went right back to preaching. All right, so we'll get to that and work through that. So God-ordained institutions carry the command to submit. Okay, so there's an authority and a submission in these institutions. If the identifier of the existence of a God-ordained institution is the command to submit, then there are five, not three, institutions evidenced in Scripture. Now, now most of the time we think about three God-ordained institutions. We think about, and, and they're not wrong. There's, there's uh, the marriage, right? There's uh, government, and there's the church. We would identify those three. And I'm going to tell you, based on what we've already looked at in this authority submission structure, that there's actually five. One comes under another, but we'll, we'll look at those. And if you disagree, you can let me know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe 
open your eyes to something this morning, okay? So we're going to identify these five explicit authority submission relationships with supporting scriptural passages that show that relationship, and then we're going to look at their God-ordained purpose, all right? So the first one is this. first one is this, is marriage. Marriage is ordained of God, Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God ordained marriage. He, he created that. He defined it. Therefore uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 1 Peter 3.1, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Guys, don't not be nudging your wives right now, okay? Create some problems. Don't do that. Uh, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Ephesians 5, and 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay? For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Ephesians 5, 28 through 33. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, for his flesh and uh, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. First uh, Corinthians eleven three. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So we see here, right here in the marriage relationship, this first institution, the first God-ordained authority right here is the marriage relationship. We see that the man is the head of the home. Now, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not teaching on marriage. I'll get back to that when we get back to 1 Corinthians. We'll dig deeper into that. But the, the, basically, it's wives submit, husbands love, okay? This is a love and respect relationship. This is not men lording over and ogring over their wives and, man, dropping the iron fist. That's not what it is. You can go to Ephesians 5 and go back to the preceding verses. It says submitting to one another. We're to submit to one another. But there is a love and respect. Uh, in the wedding I did on Tuesday, I talked about in, in the home. If there is, if there is a harshness in a home, if it's a lack of love, typically it's at the man, it's at his feet. It's his responsibility. It's his fault. If there is a, if there's a lack of respect, if there's a coldness in there, uh, it's usually the wife that's the problem. And what happens is if there's a lack of respect from the wife to the husband, then there's a lack of love that gets reciprocated from the husband to the wife or vice versa. And what tends to happen is there's a divide there instead of a drawing together. Men, we, we, we want to be respected. Uh, you, you know, we, we, men, it's a, it's, I believe it's God designed this way. Okay, There should be love and respect in the home. So wives submit, husbands love. So the purpose of marriage is to provide. Okay, so we're not going to get, like I said, we're not going to get deep into, into the marriage uh, teaching here, but I want you to understand this institution. This is a God-ordained authority in the home, okay? So the purpose of marriage is to provide. Number one is to provide procreation. 
Genesis 1, verse 27 is 28. said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, multiply fill, and, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Procreation, it, 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 it's how the, the, the next generation is materialized. And it's one of the primary purposes God created the institution of marriage for, is procreation. Be fruitful and, and multiply. Uh, understand, I'm not going to get into the deep on the politics of this, but marriage is, is defined as one man and one woman, and God's plan is for one lifetime. That's his plan. And we know things happen. But marriage is not defined as man and man, man and woman, man and one of 150 genders that are identified today or any of this stuff. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just stating the fact that marriage, and it's going on the internet, and anybody can scream and holler and all they want to, but the Word of God says marriage is between one man and one woman. God defines it. No one else. No one else gets the right to define that. That's God, and the purpose of that is procreation. And I don't care what you call yourself. If you ain't a female, you ain't having no babies. Okay? You can say what you want. And if you ain't a male, you ain't fathering any children. Okay? You can dress how you want, put on whatever makeup you want, anything you want. God has clearly defined it. And you, beside how you feel, you're not going to change the truth of that. Okay? That wasn't even in my notes. All right, other purposes for the institution of marriage. There's some other purposes. Number two is to provide a personification of Christ's love for the church. That's a reason for marriage. It's, it's this personification of Christ's love for the church. It's a picture of the love that Christ has for the church. It's a picture. Our marriage should picture that. Love and respect. We ought to see that. Ephesians 5, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Mm. For, ladies, if you don't like that, you got to deal with the Lord, not me. Okay? This is what the scriptures say that you are subject, just as we are subject, the church is subject to Christ, the wife is to be to their, her own husband in everything. And then husbands here love your wives. Again, this is the, the submission, the authority and the submission. And it's the role of each. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without that that she should be holy and without blemish. Number three is to provide partnership. Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Amen? Any of the men agree with that? Yeah. It ain't good for us to be alone. I, I, I'm, praise the Lord for my wife. I'd go crazy. I would. I, I, so it's partnership. And the fourth thing here is to provide pleasure. Amen? Preached on that a couple weeks ago. Y'all can amen that. We finally loosened up in here. All right? Proverbs 5, 18 and 19, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a, and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. The marriage relationship is to provide pleasure. So God has ordained that authority, submission, authority relationship. And there are very specific things. And so we notice that these four manifold purposes of God's construct of marriage, they're all wonderful things to procreate, 
to, uh, to, to personify Christ's love for the church, to, to, for the partnership and for the pleasure in the marriage. These are all wonderful things. So God intends for marriage to be fulfilling as long as it is conducted in his ways between one man and one woman. All the others are going to be, they're going to have problems. You cannot do things contrary to God's way and just think it's going to be blessed and then wonder why it's not blessed. There are going to be problems. Now, folks, make sure you prioritize your marriage relationship, okay? Prioritize that relationship. Work on that marriage relationship. Safeguard it. Protect it, okay? Wives, protect that marriage relationship. Men, protect that marriage relationship. Guard your hearts, all right? So that's the first. Now, uh, all right, that's one. That really is 1A. All right, so now 1B, which falls kind of under the authority of, the fam- of marriage is this, is, is the family. And this is a, an institution that the Lord has, this is God-ordained authority right here, is the family. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents. Okay, obedience. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in all things. Parents, you can nudge your children now. Okay, Here, here's a place you can nudge. You say, listen. Say, listen. So children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. And you, have for, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For when, whom the Lord loves, uh, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Okay, so we're talking about here authority relationship, right? You have an authority, you have one that's submitted to that. And we also see in this verse talking of discipline and and the discipline in a home and the discipline a parent is to provide, the discipline and correction. God gives that. Why would we say, oh, no, we can't do that in the home? God does it. If you, and you go, well, God's never spanked my hiney, then you ain't his. Because God spanks your hiney when you're his, and you get out of line. And either you're saying you're perfect, which I know you're not saying, or you're saying you're not his. Because if you are a child of God, he corrects you when you're outside of, of his will. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. There, uh, furthermore, we have, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father as spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, that's the relationship of God with us, but that's the relationship in our homes as well. The, 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 the discipline that's in a home, the correction that's in a home, how we raise our children. Now, the purpose of family, we had marriage, and the purpose of marriage was to what? To produce, provide, procreate, yeah, I'm, I'm glad y'all said that, and that's something, scream out something else, yes, to procreate, 
It is, but it's to, to provide. It's to provide those other things. Then you have the purpose of the family, and that is to teach. It is to teach. Two things to look at. Number one, to raise up a godly heritage. Raise a godly heritage. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's the purpose of this. Why should our children, why should they be under our authority? Why should they listen to us? Why should they obey the parents? Because the parents, it's our job to teach them, to raise them up. Folks, if you're raising children, you're in the wrong business. I love it. Somebody the other day said this, said, man, my job's not to raise kids. My job's to raise well-adjusted, uh, functioning adults. I want to point them to Christ. They have to make that decision. They have to come to that. But my job is to teach them to be adults. Not, not to, you know, if, you, if, you do your, if you're raising children, and then when they're 25 and 30 and they're still acting like children, then that's what you've done is raise children because they're still children. Okay? So our job is to raise a godly heritage and uh, so bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, that, that verse doesn't, uh, it's not saying if you raise your kids up in church, they'll never go astray. That's not what that verse is saying. But it is saying we should raise them up the right way. We should raise them up. Uh, you can point back to the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're to bring them up in that. We're to teach them. We're to, to point them in the right direction. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take heed of yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. We're to teach. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 and 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, he's talking about the Word of God. That's what God is saying. The words I'm teaching you, you're to teach them. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. He says, talk about it. You should, the, the Word of God ought to be incorporated in your life. I, I, I had a question when I was up in Georgia a few weeks ago, uh, and, and some uh, guy that's teaching... Actually, I'm teaching a young couples class, and one of the couples had a question about, well, how do you get in these conversations, you know, godly conversations with family? That verse tells you right there. It shouldn't be a stretch for us to get in godly conversations. It ought to be the norm. If, if your conversations at home are godless and they're, God, they're not God-honored in any way, it's going to be hard to get into a God conversation. But it says here... Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You should always be teaching your children, pointing them in the right direction. And the idea is to raise up a godly heritage. Number two is to be a blessing. Children are to be a blessing. Proverbs 17, 6, children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Proverbs 31, 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and, and he praises her. Children rise up. Man, they call you blessed. It, your children, there's, there's a, a blessing in that. There's love in that. It's an amazing thing. So the primary purpose of the institution of family is to raise godly children, listen, for the growth of the church. We're growing a church here, folks. Amen. We're growing a church here. We got six expectant mothers one, one, uh, one, yeah. Uh, did I see Corey? Yeah, she is. I asked this morning because I hadn't seen you. I thought, is she in the hospital? Uh, she said, if I'm not in the hospital, I'll be, I'll be there in church. So, um, 
But we're growing a church, one baby at a time. Amen. And uh, so we, we grow up these, raise up these godly children for the growth of the church and Christ's kingdom, and thereby its resulting positive impact on culture. Okay? So we're, we, we begin even to see right here, just looking at what is the purpose of, uh, of, of family, it, it, it's to raise up these children so that they're, they're, they're very... We want to have godly children that are functioning in society. They're good citizens. They're having a great impact. They're making a great impact in, in the culture around us. The fruit of strong families, the first line in, in disciple making, the family, the fruit of these strong families, it supports the overall benefit of every other institution. And that's what we're going to look at is, is how the marriage, a godly marriage with a godly family, how when we raise those children and send them out, they impact every other God-ordained authority. Amen. They're going to impact those. Okay, They're going to go and impact other marriages that are godly marriages, other families that are godly families. And we'll see the other areas as we get into those as well. Um, now, I'm gonna, I've got some notes here, but I'm going to, I'm going to, stay, away from the, I'm going to stay away from the stuff. Of, I'm going to, never mind. Okay, I'll come back to that. We're going to get into that big time next week. All right, number three is, uh, all right, government. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to hit this one. I'm going to hit this one and we'll stop right here. Okay, so government. Uh, the third of the five is government. God established civil government shortly after Noah and the family exited the ark after the worldwide flood. Okay, so when did government, when did God institute that? When did he ordain that authority? It's found in Genesis 9, 6. He said, whoever sheds man's blood, by man, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God had said, thou shalt not kill. Right? That was what he gave to us as individuals. But what he says here, this, isn't, this is the instituting of government, of authority, civil authority in this way. And whoever sheds man's blood, by man uh, his blood shall be shed. And, and this, is, this is what God has set up. When you go to Romans 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. There's a lot in this verse right here, okay? There is no authority. So if, if we have something, if it's not a God-ordained authority, then it's not, it doesn't have authority, okay? It has to be God-ordained to have authority. All right, he's the only one with authority. So be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, for rulers are, are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now, that verse right there is going to give us insight into what is the purpose of government. For rulers are not, to, not to, uh, a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have uh, praise from the same. All right, so you're riding down the interstate, and you're doing 95, and you see blue lights, and you get afraid. Hey, there's a way not to be afraid of the authorities. It's not do 95 down the interstate. 95 is the interstate name, okay? That's not the speed limit. <laughs> It's not the speed limit. And four is the interstate name. It's not the speed limit. So you got to do more than that. All right. Uh, 1 Peter 2.13, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And we, we already looked at that verse. We looked at what that's talking about. And then Titus 3.1, re, re, uh, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. So the purpose of government 
is to moralize its citizens. Now, don't mis misunderstand what I'm saying there. I'm not saying they're the moral authority. That's not what I'm saying. But that to moralize, and I'm going to explain that. So how do they do that? How, what is the government's role in this to moralize its citizens? Roman thir Romans uh, 13, verses 4 through 7, picking up where we were just reading. Verse 4 says, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Okay? Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. He's even saying here, why, why are taxes collected? For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. What very thing? To execute wrath on him who practices evil. That's the purpose of government. That's the purpose of the taxes. It's just so that they continually is to support that because they're continually doing this work of executing wrath on him who practices evil. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All right, second thing, we'll look at verses, second, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Or to governors, uh, picking up, therefore, I'm going to go back to 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Verse 14 then, or to governors as to those who are present uh, or, or are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. There, there's the synopsis right there of the purpose of government. To punish the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Probably the most important aspect of these passages in terms of present application relates to God's explicit intentions for the state, for government. The punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. That is the role of government. Okay? Wow, y'all didn't know that, did you? If we had done, you could write theses on what, what it seems like the role of government is today. Just, you could write 50-page research papers oh, because they're in everything, okay? So in, each institution, now the five that we're going to look at, each of these institutions is more efficient than any other institution in achieving what God designed it to do, right? So it is biblically a fallacious, a fallacious, it's a fallacy, to think that government is God's only vehicle to achieve his will in the world. God's not looking for the government to, to disciple people. God's not looking for the government to come in and, and teach your kids. That's not God's plan. God explicitly limits the state's purpose in the passages that we just cited. Okay, To punish, it's the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. The God-ordained purpose of the state is to suppress evil in a falling world through corporal punishment. And the outward force of exacting retribution for sin can be deemed to moralize the society. So how do, how do you moralize a society? How do you keep a society in line? You, you punish evildoers. You praise those who do right. You wouldn't know that from what we see in our government today, would you? 
Because it's just the opposite. Have you noticed that it's become... It, see, this is where Satan ordain, uh, Satan hijacks the things that God ordains. What has he, Satan's tried to hijack marriage, right? He's, he's hijacked the family, right? He, he's hijacking government because he's taken the role of government and he's flipped it on its head. So it's no longer that, that the role of government is to punish the, uh, the punishment of evildoers and to praise those who do right. It seems it's the punishment of those who do right and the praise of those who do wrong. That's exactly what's going on. And everything, instead of punishing evildoers, is let's let them out of jail. Let's not prosecute them. Let's not even have bail for them. What do you, what do you think that does in a culture, in a society? It just promotes further violence. It's exactly. So the role of government is clearly divine right there. It's clearly stated. It's limited. And nowhere else in Scripture is it expanded. That is the role of government. I'm not going. I am going to stop. That is. Okay. I was going to do one more, but I'm not going to do one more because that's what I said I was going to do right there. All right. So we'll get through the last two uh, next week and then we'll move on because we, as we, and maybe you're even seeing it already. As you understand the role of this God ordained authority, when we understand what God has ordained them to do, then it helps us to understand, well, how do we, how can we influence that? How can we be a part of that? Because right now government's flipped on its ear. They've, they've, they've overtaken areas that God did not ordain them to do. They're doing things God did not say you can do that. They've overstepped that. They're, they're, in, they're in our families. They're in our marriages. They're in commerce. They're in the church. They're trying to, I mean, the government basically uh, just, I mean, to say it, the government wants to be God. That's, that's what the government wants to be is God. They want to rule everything. God has not given them the authority to do that. And so this kind of leading into what, then, then how do we as, we, as we look at the last two institutions next week, then we'll get into then, then what does that mean? With each institution, how do they interact and react with each other? What influence should they have on each other? And what can we do and what should we do to be a part of that? Okay, so good stopping place right there. If you, if you would, stand with me, Pastor Aaron, you can come forward. You guys can come forward. A little different message today, a lot more, a lot more teachy than preachy. I hope, and I hope maybe you've, I hope maybe you've learned something even in this today. And uh, if you got any questions, be glad to answer those. We're gonna, we're gonna have prayer here in just a moment. But I wanna, I wanna encourage you. If you're here this morning, and uh, I always say it, and people, people, I've never had anybody here ask me this, but I have had people in other churches go, "Well, why do y'all always give the gospel? Why do you always give an invitation?" You know why? Because I don't know who's here this morning. There may be somebody here that needs to hear the gospel this morning. There may be somebody that needs to be born again this morning. And I'm gonna, I want to give you the opportunity. And and if we don't care enough about a lost soul to be inconvenienced for a few more moments to have have an invitation, then you're probably in the wrong church. Okay. So, so this morning, if, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never uh, confessed yourself a sinner, under, come to that place of understanding that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God and there's nothing I can do about it. And this morning, maybe you've come to that place of realizing, you know what, I can't save myself. And I understand that Jesus Christ, God's son, sent to this world, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and then went to, went to Calvary and died on that cross, bearing our sin. He bore our sin. The Bible says he became our sin. And he died in our place. He substituted himself for us. 
He paid the price. He died. He was buried and he rose again. And when he come out of that grave, he, he proved that he was who he said he was. And he, he won victory over death, over hell, over sin, and over that grave. And that's why we as believers, we don't worry about those things. Because we have victory over that. Because we have victory through Christ. This morning, if you've never come to that realization, but you say this morning, I need to be born again. I need this morning to come by faith and trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I need to receive the gift that He's offered me. I understand my sin. I want to repent of that sin and call on Him. If that's you this morning, now I'm going to invite you in a moment. We're going to play, and I'm going to invite you to just step out and come down here, and we'll take the Bible. We'll, we'll just introduce you to the Lord this morning, okay? Amen. Now, like, I sincerely believe he accepted. That man wanted to live so badly. He wanted to live so badly. But, like, don't put it off. That's right. He missed so many blessings in his life. And he, you know, he was a, a, a precious man, but lived as a sinner. And he could have, you know, don't waste time. Well, I pray to God that he... He truly was born again in that situation. I pray to God that's the case. But, but if the Lord is speaking to your heart, don't wait. Because you're, you're not even promised that you're going to live to see the sun go down today. Okay? There, you don't have any promises of even the next breath. And I don't worry about the next breath. Cliff says he's ready to, was it Cliff this morning? He's like, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Uh, I, I, he, he was getting a train load up to go this morning. Listen, if you're ready and you know you're ready, man, there's great peace in that. There's, there's great, great peace. But if you don't have that peace, if you don't have that relationship, then you don't understand what that peace is about. So we do invite you. Do, do not delay because if the Lord's speaking to your heart, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. You, you may have something on your heart this morning. The altar's open. And if you want to come pray for a family, you want to pray for the situation, you want to pray for Geneva, whatever. This is a place of prayer. And I invite you, I encourage you to come and talk to God. Okay, Father, thank you for...